Have you ever attempted the impossible? Something you know that you just can't do. That's what's going to happen this morning. To talk about the glory of God is impossible. I would have more luck taking a teaspoon and trying to empty the ocean or riding a child's tricycle to the top of the great mountains of the world, every peak of the world, than to explain the glory of God this morning. There is more sitting on the floor of my office to be preached than what I will share this morning. Be thankful for that. We could do a series on what we're going to talk about this morning and never crack the code of the glory of God. In fact, the glory of God means weightiness, depth, gravitas of God, the weight of God. Allow that to sink in. How do you explain the weightiness of God? And how do you make it applicable for you and I today? Think about it. It's our last sola. Let me review for one last time. Justification, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone to the glory of God alone how does that shape our faith how does it shape our walk as believers more than you might think our society has an incessant drumbeat that permeates every part of it. Do you hear it? That drumbeat? Achieve. Achieve. Measure up. Measure up. Be perfect. Be perfect. But make it look like you're not trying. It takes no effort. You can juggle children in 27 activities. You can be the perfect wife. You can have the perfect body and do it by working out seven minutes a day and eating your organic M&Ms. Never stressing out. Never freaking out. Never melting down. Men! Achieve, achieve, measure up, measure up. You aren't ever weak, you aren't ever weak. 
You don't stress out. You have the answers. You're climbing. You're taking your family with you. You have better vacations. You have better toys. You have better clothes. Achieve. Achieve. You have a better home. You've moved out of your starter home. You're no longer in your starter neighborhood. Starter neighborhoods? I thought I was achieving when I just got a roof over my head. How about you? But now we're supposed to go past that. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep going forward. You have to hear the drumbeat. Your family has to be better, better. Friends, that's a false drumbeat. It's one that no one can live up to, no one can excel at. It's a drumbeat that if you bring into your faith, it's deadly. Because God doesn't see us that way. His economy is completely different. He's not about our doing. Hear this, friend. He's about your being, not your doing. God is about your resting in Jesus. God is about... Jesus' work, which is done, which is finished, and about your dependence on that. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and he said, join me. He said, rest in my completed work. He said, you can't earn your way to me. Yes, you're going to have places where you're going to work, but it's going to be an expression of your joy, not an expression of a burden. It has more to do with who you are in Jesus than what you're doing for him. And God's glory is going to play such a major role in this. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. But when one turns to the Lord, so when one becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, the veil is removed. In other words, we can see him. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Doesn't that sound different than the drumbeat of our world? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, and we, with unveiled face, beholding the Glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now get this, this is what he's saying. He's saying this, and guess what? I can walk a little bit, I just can't stand. He's saying this, he says... When we focus on the glory of the Lord, it changes us, it transforms us, it conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ, and we become changed by focusing on His glory. 
Now, here's what we tend to do. I don't measure up. I don't read enough. I don't study God's word enough. I don't pray enough. I don't tell Jesus to people enough. I don't do enough. I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough this. I'm not a good enough that. And Jesus says, get your head up and look at me. Don't look at yourself. Look at me. Look at my glory. Focus on me. Don't focus on you. You can't change you. But I can. I'm God. And I'm in the changing business. And it begins with my glory. I was going to save this till the end, but I just can't. Friday. Friday. Oh, Friday was good. Donna and I went downtown Minneapolis. We were in South Minneapolis off Lake Street. We were in this church. It was packed because it was graduation day for long-term people at Teen Challenge. And our son was one of them. <laughs> 23 graduates. And here's what they did. They put their pictures up. The picture the day they started and the picture the day they graduated. Oh, I wish I could have taken those pictures with me. You saw these pictures of people. Their eyes were hard. Their hearts were broken. There was no hope in the first picture. And in the last picture, there was hope. And there was joy. And then each one of the 23 got to share their testimonies. Two hours of them sharing their testimonies. We thought it was long when they came here, huh? Mm -mm. And it was good. But there was a theme. Theme went something like this. I got here. And when I got here, I tried to do it on my own. I tried to do it by myself. I tried to figure it out. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. And then I met Jesus. And I started looking up at Jesus. And I started focusing on Jesus. And he started pulling the chains away. And he started changing me. And I'm standing here because of Jesus. Oh, friends, you want your heart just put on the moon? You go to one of those graduation parties. And if you want to know the power of Jesus changing lives, oh my. That's what this verse says. It says, look 
at Jesus. It's not looking at you. It's not striving in your own power. It's not listing all the ways you follow sh fall short. It's saying, behold the glory of the Lord. It's saying, focus on him. Focus on what he can do. You're saying, okay, 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 pastor, pastor. Let's say by what you say. What's the glory of the Lord? Give me a definition. Well, there's a lot of them. I could give you about 10 pages, but we're going to just take one little one. How's that? We're going to hang our hats here. I like what Matt Chandler says. The glory of God is the singular splendor of God and its consequences for humankind. We're going to break that down. Singular splendor. This is what theologians say, people who study God and try to think through what it means that the Bible tells us, splendor, the revealed glory of God. And, and, and they tell us that God's glory is revealed a couple ways. Let's look at Psalm 24. Here's uh, one way it's said. The earth is the Lord and the fullness, the glory thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he established upon it the seas and establish the river. So he's saying, my glory is revealed in the world. You know what? This is called common grace. In other words, God says, I'm going to reveal my glory so everybody can see it. So let me just show you a little bit of it, shall I? Now, for those of you from Minnesota, that big thing in the back, those are called mountains. Just, just saying, just saying. Yeah, or how about this? God does good work, doesn't he? That's his glory. It's common because we all sit and look at it, and you don't have to be a Christian, you don't have to know God, and you say, wow, there's something there. But God ups it. Look what Deuteronomy says. Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. And so we look to the stars. And we go, wow. Look at those stars. Look at those galaxies. And we think about our our. Our little star, the sun, you know, it, it's a really a little star. I mean, uh, three million Earths can fit in it, but it's still just a tiny, tiny star. And we look at this. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can... Who can understand it? We, we hear from scientists that, that the universe is expanding and we see these just beautiful things from a, the Hubble telescope and other things. And it's it just mind-blowing what God is doing. And he just spoke it into existence. He didn't break a sweat. 
And it's still just expanding. It's still going out there. This is his, his grace. His gift to humanity. You don't have to know Jesus to experience, to value it, to love it. It's just a good gift from God. But common grace is not the only revelation of God himself. He has a specific revelation that's revealed in in the nature of his glory. And God's glory is tied in his holiness. And it is the ethical and moral standard for humankind. Look back with me to, to Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. And Selah means ponder this, chew on this, think on this. The question is asked, who can be with God? And the answer is quite discouraging. The perfectly pure. And guess what? I'm disqualified. I mean, my hands haven't always been clean. My heart hasn't always been pure. I have been... I were to be honest with you, there's times I've been false. And if you were to be honest with me, you'd say you were disqualified too. That's what Romans 3 tells us, that no one has clean hands or a pure heart. We struggle with, with being false and deceitful. And Scripture tells us that First of all, Adam had his sin given to us. We call that imputation. It was imputed to us. It was placed to us. And then second, we we choose to sin. Not only are we born in sin, but we choose to sin. We we parents know that. We teach our our children many things, but we don't have to teach them how to sin. They know how to do that all on their own. We also struggle with sins of commission and omission. There are sins we commit. There's also sins of omission. And that is the sin of not doing what's right. James puts it this way. He says, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. We walk away from doing what's right. We just choose not to do it. And so we struggle In fact, Romans 3.23 puts it very simply. It says, we all fall short of, here's that word again, God's 
glory. What he's talking about right here. God's glory. What makes this even harder is God hates sin. And that's because he loves greatly. I want you to think about this. If you love something greatly, it opens the door for wrath. Think about this. If you love someone or something, and if anyone were, or anything were ever to try to harm them, wrath appears. Why? Because you love them. An absence of wrath shows an absence of love. God, who is infinite in his love, sees the damage of sin. He sees the carnage it brings upon his created order, which is there to bring glory to his name and joy to his people. And so he has to ultimately judge it and ultimately deal with it. And so because of this, God takes a serious look at this. And that's why he has Jesus go to the cross. That's the public reality that reverberates through our minds and soul on how much God hates sin and how serious he is on eradicating it and destroying it. And some of you are sitting there, this is horrible. I'm visiting today and this pastor is saying these horrible, horrible things. I'm never coming back. Hang on. There's some good news coming. God's shown his glory to his people. He's shown it through common grace, but he's also shown it through a very special way. We call it Shekinah glory. It means the presence and power of God. It's his presence and power often shown among his people. First time we see it is in Genesis 1 when God's spirit hovers over the earth, over the water. We see it with Abraham when he saw the smoking fire and flaming torch when God made a covenant with him. Moses and the burning bush. We see the Shekinah glory in Exeter. It was the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night which led the Israelites out of Egypt. It was when the tabernacle was built, when the cloud of fire fell on the uh, fell and, uh, and the cloud fell over the tabernacle and God's presence was inside the tabernacle in the midst of his people and he would have his people be around the tabernacle because he wanted his manifest presence with the people. In fact, uh, one of the purposes of the cloud and the pillar of fire was to humble the people and restrain them from sin and keep them on the right path, keep them away from rebellion and, and take the Ark of the Covenant out, which is the presence of God, and they take it to the front of the battle. And God allows the Ark to be 
to be captured, to teach the, the people a lesson. And uh, he also teaches the Philistines a lesson. Because they take it and they put it in with their gods and it, all their gods end up falling over and bowing down to the ark. But at that point, the Spirit of God, the sign of God leaves the tabernacle. And it doesn't return until, until Solomon's temple. And at Solomon's temple, the glory returns and the presence, the cloud and the fire both fall on the temple and the presence of God is there with his glory. But again, the people sin. They worship other gods. They rebel. They do horrible things. And God takes away his glory. But he sends the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel says this. And seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what the appearance of his waist I saw was, it were, a gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire close around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him. And like the appearance of the bow that it is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. What he's saying there is you see both the fire and the cloud and a person and the glory of God. What he's saying here is the glory of God is going to return, but it's going to return in a person. And that a person is Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. It says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. He has come. And those who have put their trust in him and his finished work, he has saved them. He has filled them with his Holy Spirit so God's power dwells within him. And the beauty of it, and the beauty of it, like you look at Jesus and the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He holds it all together. But I love the one thing he does. He sits down. He sits down. Why? Because he and when he sits down, sin is finished. Sin is finished. Sin doesn't have to be dealt with for the believer because Jesus deals with it. You and I can ascend to the hill of the Lord. 
you and I can go to his holy place. You and I have our hands made clean and a heart made pure. You and I are free from what is false and deceitful. You and I receive the blessing from the Lord. You and I receive the righteousness from God. Because he sits down after taking care of our sin. His death, but because of Jesus' resurrection, he's not dead. And we too have life eternal. And that's why our sin is finished. Now God looks at those who are in Jesus Christ and have put their faith and trust in him and in what he did on the cross he says something very interesting. He looks and he says, you are now holy. You are now blameless. You are now loved. You are now spotless. But you and I, we look at ourselves and we say, no, I'm not. I still sin. I still do things that are wrong. I still fall. I still mess up. And you're right. But let me show you how God wants you to respond. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who the Lord strong and mighty Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You're saying, Pastor Greg, I don't get. What are, what are you trying to point us to? I want you to look back at that. Who's strong and mighty? So who? Ah, are you getting it? Yeah, I'm weak, and I fall, I mess up, and I, I'm not strong, and I'm not mighty, and I'm not mighty in battle, so I better look at the one who is. I better put my faith and hope and look at the one who is because I'm not. And neither are you. God is saying, look at me. Look at Jesus. I'm able. I'm perfect. I'm strong. I can defeat your foes. I'm the king of glory. I'm strong in battle. You're not mighty. You're not. But I am. And you're mine. So look at me. Lift up your head. Fix your eyes on me, not yourself. Don't focus on your weaknesses. Focus on my glory. I am the author and perfecter of your faith. Sounds like Hebrews, huh? 
keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And he will transform us into the likeness of his son. So fix your eyes on his glory. Oh, friend, there's a reason your name isn't in that passage. It's because you're not God, but he is. So put your eyes on him. And leave it to him to change you. And he will look at his glory. So who are you focused on this morning? Are you focused on your weakness? Are you focused on your failures? Or are you focused on Jesus? And his radiance, his glory, his beauty the one who defeated sin and now sat down because it's done at the right hand of the Father.